Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Well, we're going to be talking about Daniel 6. These themes are throughout Daniel. You'll see them all the way through. The king, kings and kingdoms come and go, but God is eternal and his plan is unstoppable. Life gets good when you understand that. Even though sometimes we're not very clear on what's happening, right? Some of your things going on in your life right now. Where's things going? God is not unclear. He's not confused. He's not uncertain about anything, past, present, or future. We can live in the tension of not knowing. Why? Because He does. It's a beautiful thing we understand. He actually is in control. Everyone must choose which king to serve, but we are designed to live under one true king, not any other ruler or rules. He gets to define who we are and what we do. And so, this is what we see being shown in Daniel throughout. And uh, we see this in Daniel 6, uh, where we see Daniel under his, the kingdoms have come and gone. He's already on number three. And now a whole nother takeover with the Medes and the Persians. And uh, now he has a new king that he's under. And you have to imagine what that would be like to have a regime change. Changes everything. It rattles the boat. For everybody who's there, it's very unclear. It's confusing. But again, God's in control. And throughout this time, we watch Daniel, all these things happening around him, all the devastation, all the pain, all the injustice, and yet we watch him at a spot where he's clearly under the rule of the king and the joy and fulfillment that brings and what happens inside of him. So we're going to be talking about today, about Daniel, a, a quote that I saw. It's kind of weird giving a quote. I've not read the book, so it may be a terrible book. It may be heresy. This quote's really good, so I just pulled it out. Let's get honest here. I don't read enough to be able to quote things like most of the time. I think someone said this, and I kind of liked it. Daniel sets before us an example of a man who possessed the invisible means of support, the inner resources that gave purpose to his life, molded his conduct, and sustained him in adversity. And so, what we see in that is Daniel had this special thing. What was this special thing? What was this invisible thing that allowed him to operate the way he did? You know, Daniel, we number Daniel 6 is probably the most famous chapter of all Daniel. If you've been to any kind of Sunday school or if you've heard about lion's dens and people, that's Daniel, right? This is, the, this is the big one. This is the one that has tremendous drama, right? It has everything you'd want. It's a, it's a nightmare for a preacher because it's like, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. It's just, it just loaded with all kinds of stuff. It has politics and it has uh, jealousy and entrapment and deception and violence and lions are going to eat you up, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, and then this amazing power of God coming in and bringing deliverance and change of hearts. I mean, it's just amazing. If you didn't know, I just, spoil alert, he did get out of the lion's den. I'm sorry, I've just let you know that. Most of you know that. But what I, as I thought about that, what I began thinking about is this place of 
What was this invisible means of support? And what we're going to talk about this is this. It was his relationship with the king. Now that may be anticlimactic. That was his invisible means of support. This is where it all came from. And so to kind of set us up for Daniel 6, let's give a couple, just a little bit of a preview and getting it set up. Is as we talked about before, and Bill kind of let us in it so well last week, the Medes and the Persians, you know, they overthrew Babylon, and Darius, the new king, was in charge. And now Darius was considered actually a very good administrator. He was good at delegating, and he appointed 120 satraps, which were, are overseeing governing areas that they have spread out, spread out. And then above them, there were three governors in whom Daniel was one of those governors. And so he's at a pretty high level. And then we look at Daniel, and I understand that probably he was about 80 at the time, which is older than I am. And uh, I think, I know where he got his energy, but he was serving this third king, and he was close to being promoted to even a higher position. Now the problem was, is the king had great respect for Daniel, but uh, the thing about Daniel, he was, he was highly respected, and he, was, he excelled at everything. He, he was like, he's like the employee that everybody wanted. I mean, it's just like, this is, this is the best of the best. Competence and wisdom and humility and, and service, servant heart and trustworthy and faithful, right? And so the king loved him, basically because he was overseeing and making sure things took place. But, on, but it was a lot harder uh, for the other people to love him because he was this Jew who was exiled, and here he was at this place. And so there's tremendous prejudice and, and, and hatred towards Daniel from many of the people he was overseeing. He's this exiled Jew. Now, you have to understand, even to add the dynamics a little bit, the satraps were actually the ones that collected taxes. And so Daniel was to oversee accountability and, and making sure there's no corruption. And so you can see it put him in a tough place, you know, to make sure you, there's a phrase that's used is that, you know, so there was, they would suffer no loss. The first part is like they had him there so they'd suffer no loss. So basically the money would come back to the kingdom and everybody would, would pay their part. And so you kind of see the dynamic here. And so what takes place as we go through this is, I'm going to just read Daniel 3, uh, 6, 3 through 5. It says, Now Daniel was so dis distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They, couldn't, they, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corruption nor negligence. And finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against Daniel unless it's something to do with the law of his God. And so what they realize is, I can't find any dirt on this guy. You know, that's... I mean, they dug deep, and they couldn't find anything, not even just dirt, but even being negligent of something. 
And so they're like stuck. And they think, well, we got to get this guy taken down. So they think, well, what can happen? Well, we know what he will be consistent in is following his Yahweh God. And so they decide and they come up with this plan where they're going to say, they get everybody together except Daniel, all these people, and say, hey, we're going to come up with this plan. What we're going to do is we're going to have an edict from the king to worship him for 30 days, and you can't pray to any god or human for that 30 days. And if you do, you get thrown in the lion's den. Lion's den. So they, they all come to the king, and, you know, he's like, oh, 30 days being worshipped as God. I'll do that. You know, kind of unify all this changing and the Persians, the Medes, and so. You know, I've, I've, there's lots of other things, but he, they, they addressed him, and he says, okay, we'll do that. And then they signed this order, this edict, now, you have to understand the time, if you were a king, you were considered the voice of the gods in your kingdom. And when you said something and you made it official as a, a decree, it was irreversible. And they knew that, so they got it in writing. And so I'm going to bring Harmony up, and she's going to read over the story. And so as, we, as Harmony comes up, uh, I want you to just make sure you put yourself into the story and... And just think about what this felt like as you go through it, but also pay attention to maybe things that stand out. When we read Scripture, it may not even be what we're talking about today. Sometimes God just highlights particular things. So pay close attention to what stands out. There you go, Arnie. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and, ask, and asking God to help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. 
The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no one was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You know, I have, as you think about this story, you see, well, uh, Darius was a little different king, the King Neb, right? And uh, the last king is like, oh yeah, he's the, very different than the first two kings before. And if you think about that, is it's like we see a response that's quite a bit different because he had a great love for Daniel, wanting to promote him, seeing in him the things that he saw of God, of his kingdom. If you can imagine Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, he was seeing those things in Daniel and confused about his God, but understanding how good that was. And so here we have this group of people who hated his position and they begin plotting against him, and they hatch this plan, appealing to the king's ego. And so he had some ego, because he, he was okay with being worshipped for 30 days and throwing some people in the lion's den and lots of the things that kings do back then. But at the same time, what we see is we see a very different king. And, uh, you know, we see that he was very distressed once he realized, ah, I've done this. It's irrevocable. He was super distressed. In fact, it's talking about him running around before evening because that's when the executions would take place. And so he was hustling to try to say, how can we change this? And he was so messed up by it, he couldn't sleep that night. Like he's rooting, he's doing everything, but he may not know how to pray to Yahweh, but he's doing everything he can and just saying, I hope his God comes through because that's out of my hands now. And it talks about the very first dawn of, of light that comes out. He runs out, and it says, in a very distressed and anguished voice, he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And he goes, yep. <laughs> he did. And he has no scratch on him, and he comes out. And we see, again, this thing about God intervening his kingdom over the kingdoms of this world, and he comes in and reveals his kingdom, and he begins praising God and begins talking about God's kingdom. He's, you have to understand, 
kings can jump back and forth, but there's moments where things are clear, right? When the kingdom comes and you see that, you, you, you can see clearly, and God's presence and power is there, and he can see really clearly at that moment, and he goes, for the living God endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He's clear, this is the kingdom I'm seeing here. And then, of course, as every good king does, he legislates, <laughs> okay, you must revere and fear the God of Daniel. And he makes it officially, writes it in other languages, okay? Now, here's the good part about that is, this king is irrevocable. And so, I love the way it closes out after this amazing story that takes place is that Daniel prospered from there on out because that, of that, that second edict that the king made. And he's 80 years old. He needs a break, right, from one more of these rounds with these evil kings. So, it's like, okay, I've, I'm, I'm glad for this. And so, he, it feels like the God, God's grace in that spot. Now, sometimes when we, we think about Daniel, we, we think, well, he, he's kind of like superhuman. Like, this is like watching a superhero movie. Like, who does this? I mean, who gets exiled and forcibly put into exile under the power of this king and have to serve and isn't bitter or angry? Who is, who is this guy that is able to excel and love people, even these surrounded by narcissistic, power-hungry kings and leaders, and it doesn't seem to shake him too much? And he continues on leading in faithfulness. You just think about what he was going through and so, as you look at that, there's this spot where, how does this guy have no dirt on him? How does he get to a spot that he has this much integrity? And how does he get to a point of facing death? It appears to be without a lot of panic, right? Is he, does he have some kind of genetic makeup that we don't? And here's what I'm going to say. It's real important you understand Daniel was just a human. <laughs> and his power was this. Daniel was in relationship with the king. That's it. The, where this came from is that he knew who the king was, and he was, it wasn't just a, something he theorized. It's something he interacted with. He was actually in relationship with God. I mean, what do you think Daniel felt like? He's out and about. Likely he knew things were stirring. He's a pretty wise guy. <laughs> no one's talking to him. <laughs> Everybody's talking somewhere else. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this edict that comes down. It's in writing. He's very clear. He knows the, he knows the system is irreversible. And he knows, hmm, what do I do? You know, what's interesting is that... Uh, uh, so many times when we think about Daniel, we think of him like, here's, here's a narrative you'll hear sometimes. I call it the Sunday school version of Daniel. It's like, Daniel was amazingly smart, good-looking, and gifted, 
and he was tremendously faithful and wise, and God used him. <laughs> that is not the story of Daniel. The story of Daniel is that he was this person that had all these characteristics because he was in relationship with God. It's a very different story and a different narrative as we go through this. Now, how do you think he felt like, you know, when he hears this edict? It looks like it's in, in the midday some way, best we can guess, right? He's out and about anyway. <laughs> and he, he hears it. It's interesting. Here's what I love about this. Huh. This could be a problem. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty clear what's happening here, I think. But he goes, I know what I need to do. I need to go home and connect and pray to my God about this edict that says, if I pray to my God, I die. Because <laughs> i got to find him and find out what he wants. And so he goes home. And so he goes in this place of prayer, and he goes into this upper room, and what I want to keep emphasizing is the way this is stated, it's not like this is something new. What's very clear is stated is as usual. <laughs> and uh, so if you think of his pattern in his prayer, his custom would have been, he would have gone to up to this upper room. He would open the windows towards Jerusalem because he would be very aware of uh, King Solomon in Kings 8.30, Solomon asked God to give special notice, give special notice to the prayers of the, his people who prayed towards Jerusalem and the temple to hear their supplication. He's thinking, I'll do that. <laughs> I get up high, I have a view. And he's just praying in light of that, considering God's faithfulness throughout all generations, and as he begins praying. And he kneels down. Which we see all through Scripture, even Jesus, this place of humbling yourself before his king. And then he goes, and in the middle of this, he gives thanks. So he starts out, and he just spends time with his God. People come up, and they've set this up, of course, to see him enough, how we don't exactly have found him, but they, they knew what was going to happen as the set up. But he, they said they saw him asking for help, and that's probably what he's doing. Here's what's interesting. It's like, in the morning prayer, he might have been asking for help on a wise decision he would make as he's governing his area. <laughs> like, help me, God. Give me wisdom. <laughs> what do I do? Afternoon prayer. I'm going to be throwing the lions if I pray to you, so I want to talk to you about this. You know, <laughs> it's just, it just seems to be a place that he has this tremendous confidence and peace as he's praying, as he kneels down and talks to him about what he's facing. A verse that I think represents what's happening so well in the New Testament where we understand Jesus is our king, the king of kings. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I, I love that because it's this spot in which that there's this throne. 
And, and we're the vineyard, right? We, are, we talk about God and understanding Him as the Father a lot. Intimacy, it's even referred to us as being the bride of Christ. We, we talk a lot about intimacy, but there's this part of God that's just glorious. It's way above us, right? It's this, this His holiness. And that's His throne it's representing. And it says, guess what? You can approach His throne of grace with complete confidence. He wants you to be there whenever you have any need. And so, you know, I, I, I love the imagery because it, how often do you get a chance to see what's happening behind the scenes? This is our glimpse. This is showing what's, what has allowed Daniel to be where he's at. And we get a glimpse, and it's in his home when no one's around, right? Thanks for giving us those spies. We can learn a little bit more about it. But the reality is that that's, that's what we have. And so as you look at this, it basically talks about, if you can imagine this, three prayers a day, an 80-year-old guy hitting the stairs. Bob, how old are you now? Oh, you wouldn't. You don't know. You don't understand. 80 years old is a whole different story, Bob. It's not 78. It's 80. And you take the stairs, and it just is not easy. But the, I can just imagine him. You know, the edict's here. Got to go up, talk to God about this. <laughs> and he gets up. We don't know for sure. Did he think, I'll keep the window closed this time? He might have run through his mind, but he goes, no. I'm not in control. God's in control. He knew this. And so as we look at that, he opens the window, he got on his knees, he starts giving thanks, and he just begins opening up what he, his need is. And what stands out to me is this kind of peace that you, you can kind of sense in the text that it, it's not like he ran away and hid his face for the entire day and cried to God, which is completely a fine response. It's like, okay, it's prayer time, good timing. I just found out I may be eaten by lions. I need to go upstairs and talk to God about this. <laughs> That's more what you see in this. It's just, and because you see in the text, which I love, it says, as usual, as was his custom, as he always did, right? And this place, and what the difference is, is when you understand who God is and you have a relationship with him, what you understand is he's eternal. And his kingdom never ends, which means pretty much if I die, I live again. And it's just a whole different understanding that you can realize that this is an eternal kingdom and it causes you to live differently. There's this piece in which that he's like, you have to realize it's pretty unclear what's going to happen. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He knows it's going to blow over. He doesn't know if it's going to, what's going to happen. And he's very, it's very much rattling, right? to most people, but for him, he seems like he has peace because he's clear. He's not confused. He's not confused because he can get a hold of it. It's because he knows God's not confused. I feel, as a Christian, a bit odd among all my neighbors <laughs> at levels that I didn't used to. Like, I'm living on a different way of thinking, right? And they go, no, I, and maybe we're both wrong, but we're in a time in which culture has shifted and is shifting at a rate that's pretty rapid. I've been around a while, right? Don't know what that all means, but what I do know is that there's a point in which that I would say this, 
what is going to allow us to flourish in our culture that we're at? Because when you, you have lots of options when things start shifting around, because what happens is you often get to a place that you start feeling the threats. And here's what I'd say is, you guys may not be concerned about lions eating you. If you are, I, I don't, I, I don't, I'll pray for you. But if, if you're, but it's not necessarily, it, there's other threats, right? And I think many of us, even in this room, can feel some of those threats that's happening right now around us. And we're not sure what it is. We, we, I found a lot of people, including Christians, think, where is it safe right now? You guys know what I mean? Where is it safe? How do I get through this? And, and here's the thing about it. When you are in this changing internal stuff happening inside of you, idols and, and actions that are not helpful become very appealing. One way is, is isolate from the culture. Just disengage from anybody but Christians. And you can do that by just staying away from them and not talking to them, or you can, you can do that by hating them and judging them. <laughs> because that will give you safety, because then they're the bad guys, we're the good guys, but we don't see that in Daniel at all. We see him right in the middle of the culture. You can get to a spot where you just want to numb yourself. You, you just want to find something to settle your unsafetyness in your heart, the place that you're not sure what's happening and you feel threatened and you're not sure where things are going. And so there's many idols of your choice that you can give yourself over to. And this is what often happens. We mix idols. You have God and other stuff starts raising up right with it. Right? And so... What my invitation today is, is really just to understand that, first off, now this may not apply to everybody, but I, I think there's quite a few people in the room who can relate to this place. There's things happening down here that they can't quite get a hold of, and it feels in their mind, and all they think about doesn't necessarily settle it, no matter how much they try to, what am I, why am I not feeling this way? And so they, they're thinking and analyzing. And it's a spiritual thing. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. And so, and how do you, how do you get through that? And I just say is that you go to the throne of grace with confidence in your time of need. <laughs> That's it. When you get to know Jesus more and more and more, it allows you to be at a place that you know He's in control. And you can find your purpose. And you'll have an ability to go through adversity. And you'll be able to get settled in peace. So, invitation. Lattice, then approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that you may have received mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, the invitation straight ahead. Say, here you're, say you're here today and you don't know Jesus. What I mean by that, you may acknowledge Jesus and have a great respect for Jesus, but you've not allowed Him to be your King 
over you. You've not received His mercy and forgiveness. You've just, you're, you've thought about it, or you've, but, but all I'm saying is, tonight, today, what I want you to do is to go to His throne of grace and say, yes, Jesus, I want you. Let us pray for you. Say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. I don't even know exactly what that all means, but I know I need you. I know I can't maneuver this life without you. I don't even know all that, what that means, but I know I, I want to trust myself to you, and God will meet you because he's a loving, relational God. But many of us know Jesus, and we may have idols that, we're, that are pulling against us. We may just be at a spot that we feel un, unstable a bit. And I'm just saying is, Come to the throne of Jesus. The person of Jesus is what you need. All right?